Hey, hey, hey. It's Forrest. Yes, it's Forrest. This is Real Church Matters, where we talk Real Church Matters because, as always, forever, Real Church Matters. Coming to you with another love letter. This time, a love letter to the hopeless. Shout out to everybody who gave me feedback about it, said it blessed them. Uh, It's the only feedback I listen to. Call me crazy. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But um, with that being said, love everybody. Uh, pray when you listen to this that you understand that it's me uh, having a conversation with you as if you were sitting right with me and hopefully leaving you something that can encourage you in whatever issue you're facing. Uh, with that being said, let's get to it. letter to the hopeless you know I've been alive for 39 years and I think the the thing that has helped me the most is understanding God's word and how to see the world through that word and uh, so I'm just going to share with you some things first of all the story Uh, when I was 25 I feel like that was the, the the moment of my deepest hopelessness. And um, something I didn't ask myself then that I should have asked myself, and I ask myself now, and I always ask other people, so I'll be asking you, what happened? What have you lost hope in? Why are you now feeling this way? And... Back then, the reason why I probably wouldn't have been helpful to ask myself that then is because I thought I had an answer to that question. And so I would wax poetic about all of these things that didn't really matter. And so ask yourself, why are you hopeless? Ask yourself, why do you feel that you are feeling this way? And one of the things I realized in hindsight is I was feeling that way because I was disappointed in myself. I was disappointed that I got myself that overweight. I was disappointed that I got myself with no job, with no prospects for a future, without a clear understanding of what I liked to do or did or didn't do. I just felt lost and I felt like nobody did it to me I did it to me and maybe that might be different than you you might feel like someone did it to you but whether you feel like you did it or someone else did it you're missing the point and I wish that um I had more people to tell me I was missing the point because I did have one person and thank God for my mother and the, I guess, the lowest point of my hopelessness, and I'm gauging, let me tell you this, I'm gauging hopelessness by feelings. I probably had more to feel hopeless about in times when I had plenty 
according to God. But I felt great because I had what I wanted. Didn't know I was hopeless still. Didn't know I was the the direct epitome of hopelessness is to put my hope in anything but God. And so this was my that 25 was that period of time where I had the least and had the least prospects. So not even anything to hope in, you know, how like when you're in college, you even when you have those little fits of doubt and stuff like that, you start thinking like, you know, man, in, in two years or three years or in a year, my life's going to change. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go get a job. And that's where I was, too. It's just we put hope, a lot of hope in what people say. We put a lot of hope in what we see and we see other people have it. And so when those things don't come out right, we are left hopeless. And so at that darkest point, I've started to have dreams of suicide. And I just would. I guess I started to fantasize about just being done with it all and being done with it all always leads to death and death always leads to how will I die and how will I die quite possibly could lead to thoughts of suicide. And please don't think I'm like minimizing this stuff. It's just having gone through it and understood how heavy it was on me. And then seeing it lifted off by simple actions, I I don't put much stock in it, and neither should you. But I'm not minimizing how you feel. I'm just letting you know that how you feel pales in comparison to who God is. And so I'm having these thoughts of suicide, so I go to sit at the table with my mother and my father, and I tell them I want to kill myself. I've been thinking about killing myself. And my mother's response was very cavalier, very nonchalant, and very much at that time, being as dramatic as I am, I thought that she was minimizing my pain, my anguish, my struggle. And she said, you need to get your head in the word. And you need to get that TV out of your room. And I'm telling you, at this period of time in my life, I was at the height of video game playing. I was at the height of watching movies and uh, downloading movies and internet and just that whole thing of this constant cycle of wake up, depressed, sad, eat, fill myself with things that distract me from how I feel sleep do it all over again and some not in that order sometimes sporadically sometimes more or less of any of those things but she said you need to do that and if you're really serious about it and if you really want help and you're not just saying this stuff then you'll do it and so I packed up the tv dragged into the garage took the computer and put it further away from me and just was like I'm not even going to get on there unless I have work to do and I didn't have much to do that time because 
uh, there was no business at that time. There wasn't much of anything. Um, during that time, I was a youth minister. Um, you'll notice that um, a lot of churches will put people in positions just because they're interested, not because they're equipped. Um, so in the process of that, like, it didn't happen overnight. But I'm telling you some observations that did happen. I started to hear thoughts that made sense even though they weren't agreeable to how I felt. And then believe it or not, like we, we all have been there before. We all have been there where we hear thoughts that aren't agreeable to how we feel and we cast it off. But these thoughts wouldn't leave me alone. And I prayed and I, I would read my word and I would hear these thoughts. And these thoughts answered and rebuttaled every excuse I gave. These thoughts, uh, they did not let me just feel away. And I'm pretty sure it had a lot to do with my mother praying. But I believe a lot of it had to do with putting my putting my thoughts in a way where I could hear the word that I've learned over all of these years. And I've I've heard a lot of word. I heard a lot of word. And it's like it just started to exercise in me. And so the point of that story is, number one, for those of you who are hopeless, I want you to be less distracted. I want you to walk into the hopelessness. Ask yourself why you're hopeless. Walk into those reasons. It's like walking into a room, like walking into somebody else's house is one thing, but walking into a house you're about to buy is another thing. And I found that when people are interested in buying something and it's their money, they spend a lot of time inspecting it. They spend a lot of time looking at it and making sure they're making the best decision. And we don't do that with the greatest investment we have, which is our consciousness, our mind, the way that we think. And so I spent a lot of that time reading the word, listening to word. At that time, I began to listen to preachers like Paul Washer. Um, I highly recommend him. You can go find him. He's still out there. He doesn't preach a word that is uh, that palatable or enjoyable. But if you're in, in a place where you want to have hope, um, let me say that too. Like there's this mis there's this misconception that the way that you give people hope is by telling them all this awesome stuff that you get with God, but it doesn't really connect because what they want isn't what God has given. He's not giving it. He's not giving it directly. He gives it indirectly. Scripture says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. And so, like, you're going to have those times where you want something directly that you can only get indirectly and that creates a frustration. But hopelessness is a lot of times it's just the fact that you can't have things your way. And I'm telling you guys is that if you could see it that way, 
And so in this love letter I'm sharing with you, I'm, I'm telling you something that you might not even agree with or understand. You might say, no, I'm hopeless because I lost my mother or my father. But I want you to know that that's still you not getting your way. Because your desire might be for them to be there, but clearly God's desire was otherwise. Now, you may feel, well, I don't understand why God had to take them. You don't have to understand. But what you do need to understand is why he's sovereign and why whatever he says is good. And a lot of times nobody's teaching us how to deal with the realities of un, 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 how am I going to say this? Dealing with suffering and understanding it is not a product of your actions, but it's a product of God's will. He knows what we can go through. He knows who to get, who to put through what he puts them through. And it's all to get them to a place that pleases him. So everything that I've gone through, even the, the situations and the things that I felt like was my fault and was done by my choices and done by my mistakes, still giving myself too much credit. Ultimately, I could have did all of that stuff and God could have had mercy and none of those things happened the way it was. There's many of you that may have been out here in these streets going crazy. And you know you could have been dead or you know you could have had AIDS or some disease or you know there's so many things that could have happened, but they didn't. You don't sit around and say, man, I that stuff ain't happened to me because I was smart. No, because you know you wasn't. And so a lot of it is we have to just understand the sovereignty of God, even in the midst of free will. And in the midst of me making bad choices and bad decisions, God still had his hand on me. He's in the midst of bad decisions. I wasn't homeless in the midst of stupid decisions. I still had skills and talents and opportunities, things that I didn't pay attention to. Because I was distracted. So that's why I start with uh, number one, stop being distracted. There's nothing wrong with playing video games. There's nothing wrong with watching TV, enjoying shows. There's just a time and a place for everything. And when you know that you're using things to substitute other things, you make the simple thing something that's very nasty. So it's, it's, there's the person who's just watching television. And there's the person who's using television. It's the person who's just eating, and then it's the person who's using food. These are realities that we have to deal with, and they are part of the hopelessness that, that more that we don't talk about. You know, before a person ever gets to the point where they take some pills or slit their wrists or do the things they do, they have already, they've already tried everything but dealing. And dealing is just coming to an understanding. And so people get frustrated because they're trying to make life fit when they need to be making life, making themselves fit. So I, I did more of that. I started to, I stopped trying to make life fit how I wanted it to. And I started to realize where I fit in life. And so I, I know for a shadow of doubt, there's certain things I would not have come to an awareness of if it wasn't for the fact that I became less distracted. 
if it wasn't for the fact that I also had courage to start challenging the way that I thought and the thoughts that were coming into my heart. And a lot of times we don't even understand, like, in order to cast down a thought, you have to consider the thought. If you ignore the thought, you can't cast it down. And so I started to think about the things that were, were challenging me and making it hard for me to understand. And so I would start thinking about, you know, why, why is it that I'm so upset that I, that I finished college but I'm not where I want to be? Or what am I doing to even make it better? And you know what I'm saying? Like I, I started to notice things about myself. I shared this one time when I was preaching. Like I would open up the one ads to look for a job and then I would feel this overwhelming anxiety and I would close them and it could have been a job right there for me but because I couldn't move past my anxieties I began to sabotage myself just full of emotion then I make excuses for it uh, people would ask me and I say I've been looking for jobs I just can't find any but I wasn't looking for jobs. I was looking for the job I thought I should have. And these are the realities that you come into. It's like looking back on all the things that I went through. It's just so that I can have a better understanding. I can share it with you guys. But you got to have courage. I would have had a job sooner if I had courage. If I wasn't distracted and I had courage. Courage to face my fears. Courage to deal with the fact that I'm afraid, to understand what I'm afraid of, to stop making excuses. These are all things that kept me in the bed all day, kept me playing video games all day, kept me not attacking and approaching what I was doing in a way that was that, that could free me from it. But that's what hopelessness does. Hopelessness causes us to think about what we don't have and miss out on what we have. Hopelessness causes us to blame ourselves and the other things we had hope in. Hopelessness paralyzes us. But see, the person who has hope in God, it's not that God is going to give you what you want, but that he's going to put you in a place where it is well in your soul. So I begin to have hope. I begin to have hope and nothing changed. I began to have hope in everything that I hated about myself. Some of those things started to become things that I, I liked about myself. Some of those things are things that have yielded so much blessings to me and people around me. It, uh, what is it? 19, 14 years later, 14 years later, because I'm 39 now. 14 years later, those, those things that I hated about myself are things that I can embrace and I'm so glad that I am because they were the unique design God made me. The other thing uh, on top of distractions and courage is you need to focus. You need to focus. Though. When you put your eyes on God, and that's what, what this word is all about. Like when we say they seek God, we're saying put your eyes Put your eyes on God. It's like uh, I was being taught how to drive. And he said, basically, uh, it's the, your hands on the steering wheel, but it's also your eyes. 
allow your eyes to go where you want to go and it'll make more sense. It'll be natural. And it, and it did. And the reality is we say we seek in God, but our eyes are on other things. So this hopeless person was upset because he was looking at everything everyone else had. That 25 year old was upset at the reality that I was the third of seven, but I was the the last person in my parents' house. <laughs> and all even my younger siblings, they were they were all graduated and they were out doing things. They were out at universities or they were out working and building families and making money and there's here's this twenty five year old guy and he's doesn't have nothing going for. And it's nasty. I would tell you, you know, it probably would have been worse for me if I was on social media, if social media existed to the extent it does now. It did at 25 um, in the form of Facebook and MySpace, but not to the iterations that it is now. And the reality is that I would have been probably even worse if I had those because those are all tools by which to call our eyes to. So my eyes were on what my siblings were doing. My eyes were on what people my age were doing. My eyes was on people uh, in the church and what was happening with them and how they were progressing. And all the kids that I was teaching were growing up uh, as a youth minister. They were growing up and moving on. And when you look at everyone else, it puts a big microscope on you and it compares you unfairly to plans that aren't meant for you. And nobody's doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. Even when other people are, you know, accomplices in it or contributing to it, they aren't the reason. No more than I used to have a, um, be helping a, a young lady and everybody seemed to always be asking her, like, um, when are you getting married? Do you have a boyfriend? Like, this is the constant theme everywhere. And, yeah, people contribute to this errant way of looking at life. But at the end of the day, it only made sense and it only exacerbated what my eyes were already on. My eyes were focused on something else. When people ask you, like, well, what are you doing right now? Or, uh, you know, somebody, something as simple as somebody saying, when are you going to give me some grandkids? You know, those things start to annoy you because they just draw focus on the things that you're trying to not focus on, but you can't stop focusing on. And no, no matter if you're dealing with the stuff that I'm talking about or you're just dealing with, an overall sense of dread and hopelessness. I want you to know it's coming from you. It's emanating from your, your focus. It's emanating from your lack of courage. It's emanating from your uh, constant being distracted. You got to engage with how you feel with the word. And allow the word to give you a perspective that allows you to be free even when you feel like you still are chained to a lot of the situations that you resent. And that's, that's hope. That leads to hope. That leads to hope.
I don't have a, a, a quick, fast remedy. These are just things that you begin to apply and you begin to challenge yourself with as you continue to move. The next thing is that I engage in the word and not just reading the word, hoping that it makes me feel better in the way that we mindlessly will pour some medicine onto a spoon or take a, a few pills like we mindlessly do it and then we just sit lazily and wait for it to kick in you can't do this with the word you can't read the scripture and then be like all right now do what you do come on word i read you come on prayer i prayed you come on now do what you do now it's that's not the way this works in order for the word to work you have to work it in you you have to work it in. It has to be kind of elbow grease. You got to kind of rub it in, rub it into your thoughts, rub it into your vocabulary, rub it into your perspectives. As you do that, you start to see you shifting. This is an active participation. It's kind of the difference between taking medication uh, for high blood pressure and changing your diet and exercising. You know, both of those choices could possibly lower your blood pressure, but only one of them is the healthy one and the one that uh, can last the longest and be the most fruitful to your life with the least amount of side effects. And so when we engage with the word like it's medication, we often will find that it's more like a placebo and it's not really helping us. And it's something that you could find comfort in the action of doing it, but it never really solves the real issues. And so I begin to be intentional about reading the word and about praying. I begin to engage it and allow it to be part of my thoughts and my vocabulary. I begin to hold more conversations about the word and less about my problems. I begin to have more thoughts and my creative thoughts even started to permeate the word. When I wrote songs, I didn't have to think about writing songs about God. That's all I wrote because that's all I thought. When I thought, when I, my perceptions of people, the word just started seeping into all of it. It, be, it gave me freedom, too. I could talk about things I never could talk about before because I was able to talk about them in the context of the understanding of the word that I got. Sex became not so taboo to me. It became something I could talk about to anybody. I'd talk about it with my mom because my perspectives, I worked the word into everything. And it belongs there because God made all of it. He made sex. He made everything. He even made the capitalistic structure that has money. And you should be able to work God into all of it. And it's, it, these things seem small and they seem like benign. And they don't seem like they can make you feel better. But honestly, I'm telling you that hope is not about making you feel better as much as it is about removing you from how you feel. And infusing you into God and his word. And so that's my love letter, though I don't know if you hear it, I do pray that you let it live in you. 
So before we go, let me pray. Father, we ask that you would touch those who are hopeless. Let them know that the feelings they feel and the weights that press on them, that they are mirages. They are a part of a very temporal reality. They are not a part of the eternal reality. And I pray, Lord, that they are able to see it. That they not look for the medication that can fix them so they can continue to want the things that they want. But that they can see that if they change what they want, they'll be healthier than they ever been. Inside and out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think this was cool. So that's my love letter to the hopeless.